Good morning, saints of our Lord, and welcome to Thy Strong Word. I'm your host, Brady Finneran, pastor of Messiah Lutheran Church in Sartell, Minnesota. Thank you for tuning us in this morning on Worldwide KFUO, Christ for you, anytime, anywhere. A blessed epiphany season to all of you this Friday, February the 11th, as the light of Jesus shines on us from Matthew chapter 16. Jesus does a miracle of feeding again. You know, he did it with only a few loaves and a few fish with the 5,000 just before this. Right before this, he fed only 4,000 men. And then it simply says that Jesus got into a boat. It sounds pretty simple. Jesus would, you think he'd just put up his feet, some R&R, and then the Pharisees and the Sadducees show up. It's one of those situations where you can almost hear this large Jesus sigh coming upon him as he about, is he about to address these individuals. But yet Jesus is, continues to teach, teach about his kingdom, which, re, which reminds us of the theme we've had from the beginning of Matthew. Christ's reign has come, Christ's reign is here, and Christ's reign is coming. So we definitely all encompass this today, for the gifts are ready, ready for you. Thank you to our friends at Lutheran Heritage Foundation for your support of Thy Strong Word. Visit lhfmissions.org for more information, lhfmissions.org. Helping us to be strengthened by God's Word this morning, we welcome back regular guest Pastor Scott Adel of Good Shepherd Lutheran Church and School in Collinsville, Illinois. Pastor Adel, happy epiphany and welcome back to Thy Strong Word. Thanks for having me. It's good to be here. Pastor, what's going on for you, your family, and the work of the saints of Good Shepherd? Well, as you said, we're in the middle of the Epiphany season and just kind of grinding away through uh, February at this point. But uh, <laughs> yeah, we know that true. Lent is coming up around the corner, and so we're trying to, the other pastor and I are trying to get stuff lined up for that and get ready for that season. And let's be honest, there's a, a big th- couple things going on this weekend and to next week. Uh, the Super Bowl, who do you think is going to win? <laughs> you know what? I'm going for Cincinnati. All right. Cincinnati is uh, Zach Taylor, the former Husker, so I'm uh, I'm hoping he can pull it off. That's right. Yeah, it's one of those, uh, yeah, you're a Husker fan. I mean, there's like this eternal hope that's natural yeah. to Husker fans. I like it, yeah. yeah. Plus, you're very loyal to each other. I have I have no great opinion, but it should be a fun time. And then, not to be outdone, but Valentine's Day is the next day. So do you have any plans with your bride for Valentine's Day? Uh, their secret plans. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing you want to put on the air because people will know. Like, did you do that or yeah, didn't exactly. you? Yeah, we better not <laughs> unveil too much. <laughs> Anyways, well, Pastor, we are here to study the Word of God. I love it in my in my congregation when we get lost and other conversations. My, I, I've trained the people at the church saying, okay, how about we get back on the farm here, Pastor? So let's get uh-huh. back on the uh-huh. farm. And can you begin our time in prayer? Yeah, let us pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for bringing us here this day to read your word and hear your word. Please be with us as we read through it. Give us eyes to see and ears to hear, that we would understand it, and that it would lead us to a proper understanding of your Son and what he has done for us. In his name we pray. Amen. Amen. Reminder, if you have any questions concerning our text here in Matthew chapter 16, send us an email, kfuo at kfuo.org, kfuo at kfuo.org. Now here's what we're going to do. I'm, we are reading from Matthew chapter 16. We are reading from the English Standard Version. We're going to be doing the first 12 verses. And so what I'll do is I'll read these 12 verses and come back and get some of your introductory thoughts 
um, as we, once again, put on our Christ goggles, see what he has to say, and then to see what the kingdom is like as he um, has come for us. So beginning in verse 1. And the Pharisees and Sadducees came to test, and to test him, they asked him to show them a sign from heaven. He answered, When it is evening, you say, It will be fair weather, for the sky is red. And in the morning, it will be stormy today, for the sky is red and threatening. You know how to interpret the appearance of the sky, but you cannot interpret the signs of the times. An evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of Jonah. So he left them and departed. When the disciples reached the other side, they had forgotten to bring any bread. Jesus said to them, Watch and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. And they began discussing it among themselves, saying, We brought no bread. But Jesus, aware of this, said, O you of little faith, why are you discussing among yourselves the fact that you have no bread? Do you not yet perceive? Do you not remember the five loaves or the five thousand or how many baskets you gathered? Or the seven loaves for the, for the four thousand and how many baskets you gathered? How is it that you fail to understand that I did not speak about bread? Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. Then they understood what he, that he did not tell them to beware of the leaven of bread, but of the teaching of the Pharisees and Sadducees. This is our text for today. And, and Pastor, this is actually, this part is, is very much so between two very important parts of Holy Scripture. If you go beyond this, you have Peter's confession as Jesus as the Christ. And right before, I mean, you just have the what defiles a person. You have the Canaanite woman. You have the 4,000, let alone the 5,000 before that. And then we kind of have this little section here between these miracles and confession that is, is quite interesting. So you have any background or introductory thoughts you want to give us today? Well, yeah, I think he's laying out a little bit of what happened in chapter 15 is important. because 15 begins with the scribes and Pharisees coming to Jesus to ask him about stuff, and he says, that they do not honor God with their hearts, but rather their heart is far from God, and rather mm. they major in their own teachings and doctrines, which are the commandments of men. And after that, you have, have as you said, Jesus going to a Gentile nation. He goes to Tyre and Sidon, and there he meets a Gentile woman whose daughter is possessed, and he heals her. And then it just says, uh, great multitudes came to him, having with them the lame, blind, mute, maimed, and many others, and they laid them down at Jesus' feet, and he healed them. And then, obviously, he's teaching throughout this, and then the feeding of the 4,000. So one of the things you get to when you get to chapter 16 that they're going to ask about is about a sign. And someone who someone who just read through chapter 15 would be like, and clearly Jesus, in his response, is like, what, what do you mean? What more signs could you want? Yeah, I've yeah. been preaching and treat, teaching right and left. I've been healing people right and left. People who would not normally come to believe in the true God. People from Tyre and Sidon, Gentiles, whose daughters are demon-possessed. They are coming to believe in me. And then they, they turn around and ask him for a sign. <laughs> and it obviously galls him when they do that. You get this uh, multiple times. The Gospel of John is another one that, that is very keen for 
Jesus to do a miracle, and then they turn around and ask him for a sign. But it's going on here too. Yeah, you almost have this vision in this one where the disciples are literally carrying basketfuls of bread, basketful of bread, seven to be exact, and they're dragging this along. And the Pharisees say, "How about you give us a sign?" While the disciples are just like struggling to carry these baskets, you know. Um, Mm-hmm. And it's, it's, but, it's, I mean, yeah, it? when you get to the second half of our reading, too, though, it, it, even the disciples didn't get it. Yeah, the, yeah. They were the ones who had been carrying the baskets, <laughs> and they didn't get it. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> oh, it's so good. It really is interesting um, for us to be able to look at our own faith and, and our own eyes, where are our eyes centered, and what do we search for from God that he doesn't promise to give us? Any Any thoughts on that in our current world and and why this text is important for us even today. Yeah, I mean, yes, there is much here. Why don't you reread the first paragraph, and then I think it'll lead into that kind of stuff. Ah, okay, very good. So, uh, good segue. So, well, I'm just going to read verse 1 to break it down a little bit, just to get a feel for what we have. So, verse 1, chapter 16. And the Pharisees and Sadducees came, and to test him, they asked him to show them a sign from heaven. So I want, to, I want to start this way, Pastor, just to make sure we have our terms correct and our ideas of what's happening. Pharisees and Sadducees, can you kind of give us an idea of who are these folks? Yeah, it, it actually is uh, peculiar here that it mentions them together because these two groups do not get along on very much. And just kind of a rough thumbnail of what we know is that the Pharisees, uh, by and large, are a lay movement. They, they do have some priests. They're the ones with rabbis to teach people. And if you want to put them in kind of the terms that we use, they're probably more conservative. They read the Old Testament. They want to try and live the Old Testament. They have issues with the Sadducees and especially the priestly class that lives in Jerusalem who are not as conservative, and, and there's a problem. So the Pharisees are the ones who, who help run synagogues and teach people, read from the Old Testament, this kind of thing. Uh, the Sadducees, as far as we can tell, are more of an elite class, maybe centered around Jerusalem, including probably several of the priests, and therefore maybe in charge of the temple. But it does mention a couple different times in, in the scriptures that they they don't believe all of the different things in the Old Testament, and so they've uh, they've got issues with resurrection, they've got issues with some of the spiritual things, and this, as we said just a few minutes ago, this tends to the Pharisees and Sadducees not getting along so much so that uh, I mean when Paul is on trial at the end of Acts, uh, normally the Pharisees and Sadducees unite on things like they're against John the Baptist, they're especially against Jesus the Christ. When Paul comes around, you would think that they would be in line against him, except for Paul mentions that he's a Pharisee, and then the Pharisees jump up <laughs> kind of to, to fence him, and, and, and a natural aversion to the Sadducees comes up later on. But uh, yeah, so it's unique here that these two have aligned themselves, and specifically it says to test Jesus. They are not coming, at this point in the gospel, they're not coming to kind of 
hear what he has to say and learn more about him. By this point in the gospel, they don't believe him. They are against him, and they they want to try and test him or tempt him. As you read further on in the gospel, they will start throwing trick questions out to try and trip him up in front of the people in order to try and get the crowd against him. But uh, it's beginning in earnest here. And it is interesting how they address him. They know they they don't come to. Hmm, I want to learn a little bit more. They don't hold back whatsoever. Like like you said, it's basically like, no, we came to test him and show us a sign, almost like show us or else. Um, so they're definitely not coming with humility. They're coming with, I already know the answer. Now we're just trying to make sure that you, um, well, we want to bring you down, I guess is the best way to say it. Any other thoughts? Yeah. And, and they, they demand a sign from heaven. This is one of the things that almost always when people approach Jesus, I can Maybe always, I can't remember offhand. But when they approach him in this way, he is not going to give them the answer that they want. And and you see here that many times when people are asking him for signs, they're asking him to do a magic trick, right? You Mm -hmm. you show us proof right now, and it better be a sign that we like. You you get this, uh, well, you mentioned one of the ways this, this jives with, the modern world is unbelievers sometimes will say to Christians, well, can you prove there's a God? Mm. Like, can, can you prove it to me? And it, of course, you know, Christians can go down their apologetics list and say all their, all their logical arguments. N- none of those are going to work. Right. I, I think maybe sometimes a, a better response just to begin the conversation is, well, what would you take as proof, right? Mm. What what would count in your book? And then, I mean, then, then the uh, onus is on them to say, well, uh, I want lightning right now, or I want God to come down, or I want, you know, any of these miraculous signs. And we could say, well, God is not at your whim. But, but furthermore, all of those things that you just listed have been done. We have eyewitness accounts of those exact kind of things happening. So if you want them, you can read about them. I can tell you about them. But I have a feeling they're not good enough for you. Just like the signs that Jesus has just done in chapter 15, uh, that, those didn't count. Those weren't good enough. So show us another sign. And he, he, he refuses. And this brings us back to Matthew chapter 12, where the 12.38 where some of the scribes and Pharisees, so evidently the Pharisees were like these equal opportunity for other religious groups that they don't usually get along with, but all of a sudden now that they're all against Jesus, they can come together and unified right. against Jesus. So they they say the same thing. Teacher, we wish to see a sign from you. Maybe the Pharisees were a little bit nicer, I would say, in, in chapter 12, but they definitely have the same goal is to test him and to basically mm-hmm. prove that Get get him out of the way, basically. And I really like how you mm-hmm. how you said that, and that's good advice for all of us, is that when we do have received questions about, um, you know, prove us the faith, prove to us, why should I believe this, is that we actually have to find out where people are at. So bring it back on them, not in a mean way, not to try to be a jerk or something, but to say, okay, so what would be enough for you? And that kind of, yeah. one, 
it puts it back on them, but two kind of reveals what their God is. Because if you want a God that's going to bring lightning down right now, well, I guess that's the kind of God you have. But we have to make stick with the God that's been revealed in Scripture for us. So I, now I'm kind of curious here, Pastor. Have you had uh, many of those kind of conversations? or uh, just, I don't know. I've, I've had a couple. Yeah. I, and I, I remember one where I said, well, what, what would you accept? And he just said, I'll have to think about it. And, ah. and he knew, he knew he was kind of caught because... He knew that if, if if you want him to come down to earth, I would say, well, he has. <laughs> this is our thesis. Right. God has sent his son to earth. Uh, and, and it did kind of back him up a little bit because I, I think many times that they're not, and you, you can kind of judge the person. Are they honestly asking or are they like the Pharisees and Sadducees? Are they just in it to be a troll? Are they just in it to kind of show you up and test you and prove you wrong? And just know, you don't have to play those games. Jesus doesn't play those games. And this is where, this is a reminder to our listeners that part of the goal of your local congregation is to, that your pastors and other workers there are there to help and support you when you are, you know, um, Living in the real world, I guess you would say, and people are asking you about faith. This is a perfect situation for you to meet with your pastor and to talk to him about about this, or if you have teachers or DCEs or whatever it might be, deaconesses, that you go to them and ask, okay, here, here's a situation, and this is a great way for us here at KFUO to continue to equip and to share the word and how you can engage the world of where you are, because we often think that other people have all the answers, and then therefore we don't. And then, like Pastor Adel, what you just did is, is say, so what would be good enough? And they didn't have the answer right away either. So they're searching as we are continuing yeah. to grow too. So I, I love it, and I really appreciate that because guess what? It hasn't really changed since the time of Jesus. People are still no, testing. It's yeah, it's the same kind of situation. So anything else on verse 1, yeah. Pastor? Go ahead. Well, I mean, th- th- this is what Lewis talked about in that, that essay, God in the Dock. Like, oh, yeah. We often want to treat God as if he's a witness, and we get to cross-examine him. And if we don't like his answers, we're going to keep asking him more and more <laughs> until we until we grill it out of him. And he's just like, you know, that's not what God is. It's, that's not how this situation works. Wow. All right. So... So let's, I mean, we maybe could spend the rest of the time on verse 1, but we probably should move on. <laughs> Verses 2 through 4, as we hear Jesus speak, which is, uh, which is always good. So verse 2. Jesus answered them, When it is evening, you say, It will be fair weather, for the sky is red. And in the morning, it will be stormy today, for the sky is red and threatening. You know how to interpret the appearance of the sky, but you cannot interpret the signs of the times. An evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to you except the sign of Jonah. So he left them and departed. So he, he kind of does a little bit of a parabolic type of statement here. Um, kind of brings me back a little bit because uh, um, when you try to interpret the weather, we aren't so good at that either. So what is he saying when he's talking about the sky and it red and weather and end of times? What is he saying? I think he's even saying that uh, that they can do basic weather <laughs> prediction, right? Okay. That they know what it's going to be like if the sky's red in the morning, or uh, this kind of thing. Just as we, if we see clouds gathering.
western horizon, we know it, we know that the storm's headed this way, right? And it's not it's not magic to be able to tell that. That's just the way the weather patterns flow. Uh, but at the same time, so so they, they they understand what you might even say those minor and obvious signs, but minor being the, the main point there. Whereas when the Christ of God is in front of them healing people and preaching with authority the way that he does, where he gives out things that only God can give out, like the kingdom of heaven or access to the kingdom of heaven, where he says, you, you know, the wise man is the one who listens to my word and does them. When, when he says at the end of time, not all who say to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, right? That is placing himself at a rather high position almost as if he sits in the seat of judgment. And he'd done that all the way back in, you know, chapters 5 through 7 with, with the, the Sermon on the Mount. Mm-hmm. They've heard that kind of stuff. They've seen that kind of stuff. And then they turn around and ask him for signs. This is like if you go to the doctor and, you know, he holds up that eye chart in front of you and says, tell me which way the letter's pointing. And you say, I, I don't know which letter. And then he holds it closer to your face. Tell me, tell me which way. I don't know what you're talking about. Well, <laughs> you're not seeing the signs. And that could be because you're blind or you are, as Jesus said, a hypocrite. You refuse to see what's right in front of you. You refuse to believe what's going on right in front of your face. And right now it's very clear that either they can't see it or they're being hypocrite, and that, that would be a very clear case here, partly because Jesus is repeating himself from chapter 12. You know, So this yeah. is not a matter of, well, we just didn't really know. Well, you know you've seen it, but you just don't want to believe it. And same thing, I love the eye doctor um, connection there because it's right there, you just don't want to, and that's really more of what we're talking about as opposed to, we don't need to feel bad for the Pharisees necessarily in this. It's a hard heart that just refuses to listen and to see what God is doing. Is that fair? Yeah. I mean, a kind of parallel to that is John 9, where he heals a man born blind. And at the end of the chapter, he says, because you say you see, your guilt remains. Ah. Right? Because you tell the doctor you have perfect vision, and when he holds up the eye chart, and you say, I don't, I don't see a thing. Well, what's going on there? Right, <laughs> uh, Jesus. Jesus is saying, "You guys are wicked and adulterous." And so you're right. You shouldn't feel sorry for the Pharisees and Sadducees here. This is past the point of them saying, "Gee, I've heard something about this guy. Let me go investigate and find out what he's really about." We're past that point. Now they are after him. Now they are seeking to trip him up. Now they want him to get in trouble. And obviously, just a few chapters later, they're going to say. How can we get rid of him? Yeah. And I want to ask this question is when we look at this, we can easily try to take a one-to-one. So Jesus does this, calls them all for their hypocrisy, and, and well, he's Jesus. And for us, we are called to preach the law. We're called to, to, to lay out what God's truth is. But there's also that tension that we live in is that Jesus knew exactly what was on those guys' hearts and we do not. So what would be your encouragement? I want to get to Jonah, but we'll get to that at the other side of our break is what would be your encouragement as Jesus clearly tells us he's preaching the law here, calling them out for their sin. And for us, we're called to do the same thing, but it's different because we're not 
Jesus. So what's your encouragement to our listeners and, well, to any of us, um, to continue to preach the law, but to, to remember how to keep that distinction well and in, in care yeah. of others? I think it's pretty well, maybe even too well put into us that we, we, we err on the side of being gracious. And that, that's a good thing to do. So if someone comes and asks you stuff and they, they appear to be sincere, you can have those kind of conversations where you, where you talk about uh, different apologetic moves or you can talk about the different things of, that are portrayed in the scriptures and in the gospels especially. But at the same time, when, when, when you know and recognize people are looking for a fight, as I said, Jesus doesn't bend over backwards to, to act like the Pharisees are genuine here. He just calls them hypocrites. You don't want that. You're not asking that. You're asking for a sign. Okay, here's the sign, the sign of Jonah. And that is the sign, like you said, we could talk about that a little bit more. Mm-hmm. But uh, when when people are t- trying to tempt you and trick you, which is much of what the modern world is trying to do, uh, did God really say what, how men and women are supposed to relate, or men and men, or women and women? Mm-hmm. Uh, did God really say, I'm, you can run down the list of the commandments, right? And, and you recognize that that kind of question is exactly the question that, that's in the mouths of Satan uh, in Genesis chapter 3. And you don't need to go chasing after him, other than to say, yeah, he, he really did say, and and leave it at that. And that's where it goes back to Eve, like you're, like you're saying, is, you know, did God really say you, you should not eat of that? Of the fruit, and her simple answer should have said, "Ben, yes." Next question. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Correct. You know, there's no more questions we need. Yeah, he did say that. Okay, all right. Talk to you later. You know, and that's good for us yep. as Christians. And this reminds me of the reading for this Sunday, where he talks about, you know, if Christ is not raised from the dead, your faith is futile. At least in the three-year lectionary. And then it says uh-huh. this wonderful language, which says, "In fact, Christ has been risen from the dead." That's all we need to say. Yeah. That's all we need to know. And that's what we have. Yeah. But Pastor, I want to get more to the sign of Jonah on the other side of our break. We are studying Matthew chapter 16 with Pastor Scott Adel, and we'll be right back. This is the voice of a mother in the faraway country of Georgia reading to her six-month-old son about Jesus from a Bible storybook written in the Georgian language. The child's Bible was given to her by the Lutheran Heritage Foundation, and the Holy Spirit is working powerfully through your support of LHF to make events like these happen every day. Help another family learn of the Savior. Learn how at lhfmissions.org. Welcome back. We are studying Matthew chapter 16 with Pastor Scott Adel of Good Shepherd Lutheran Church in Collinsville, Illinois. And Pastor, I, I feel like we could go in about 30 different directions on what we've been talking about, but we know that we stand on truth. And right now, Jesus is, is, is the truth, and he's doing all these great things, and they're not asking the right questions and not seeing what they should be seeing. And then Jesus teaches and he says this, that there'll be no sign given to you except the sign of Jonah. He repeats himself from chapter 12 with the same thing. 
What is he? I mean, I like the story of Jonah. I like Veggie Tales. What is he talking about? <laughs> well, uh, I, I think there's probably a, a few different things going on. But one is realistically, when you get down to it, who is the Christ? It's the sign of Jonah. And by that, just on point, he means just as Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and then was spit out, so will the Son of Man be in the heart of earth three days and then will be spit out, right? So that, that the, the death and resurrection, that's the proof of who the Christ is. That's the, that, that is the proof of, that Jesus is who he says he is, that he is the Christ, the Son of the living God. Uh, the reason the Gospels were written down for us, right, so that we would we would believe that. Mm. The, all all of those other things, the healings, uh, all those other things are nice and good, but when it comes down to it, that is the sign: the death and resurrection of Christ. And, and as you you just mentioned, First Corinthians fifteen, mm. right? He says, mm-hmm. "Without that, our faith is in vain." Yeah. Our faith is futile, and, and we are of most people to be pitied. Yeah, right. Oh, so. so. So, I mean, there is that straight up. That, that That is how you know that Jesus is who he says he is. And that's why all of the Gospels uh, put <laughs> a lot of weight into that last week and into the death and resurrection of Jesus. Uh, but so you have that being, being something that he, he is— Going to tell this, I mean, we're not going to go through this today, but I guess you'll go through it next week. But the second half of, of chapter 16 is Peter confessing Jesus to be the Christ, then Jesus turning around and saying, you know that this means that I'm going to go to Jerusalem, I'll be crucified, and then I'll rise three days later. And he has no idea what he's talking about. The rest of the disciples have no idea what he's talking about, and they try and tell him, you know, you shouldn't talk like that, because that's not how it's going to work, uh, because e- e- even they don't get it either. Uh, but maybe another thing going on here, too, is reflecting back on chapter 15, as well as things that have come uh, earlier on in the Gospels, is Jonah is someone who, for all intents and purposes, died, was raised, and then went and preached the truth to the Gentiles. And they believe, mm-hmm. right? And, and mm-hmm. in the book of Jonah, of course, this drives him crazy, but Jesus is a better Jonah, and and you, you've already seen him, even in chapter 15, as I said, preaching to the Gentiles, or interacting with the Gentiles, and they come to believe. And this is also why the Pharisees and Sadducees looking for signs, I can't remember if it's earlier or later in the Gospel of Matthew, but at some point Jesus says, prostitutes and thieves are getting into the kingdom of heaven before you guys, because when John called out to them, they repented, and you guys don't. Like, even the signs of of people giving up their sins and believing in the true God and, and looking to him for forgiveness, and then even asking John, well, how should we live? And he tells them, you know, the commandments, don't steal from people, right? Be content, don't be coveted. Uh, Jesus says, you look at that, and you kind of... Learn nothing from it. Yeah. You're blind even to what is going on in front of you. So, I mean, you have that working with Jonah as well. And that goes back, and I just looked this up. I just I Googled it, what you just said. That goes to Matthew 21, verse 31. Mm-hmm. You know, when Jesus says that, that 
that truly I say to you, tax collectors and prostitutes go into the kingdom of God before you. And he's speaking in such, it's about repentance. You know, it goes to that, uh, uh, the sinner that comes into the temple versus the tax collector versus the, the Pharisee. The Pharisee says, hey, look how good I am. And the other one says, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. And you're kind of like, who who went away, you know, forgiven, you know? Well, it's pretty obvious. Mm-hmm. They're repentant. Correct. And, and the Pharisees Correct. and the Sadducees are anything but that. Because if they can't even understand Jonah and his connection to Jesus, they're not going to understand Jesus and the cross. Correct. And any other thoughts you have on those first? I mean, that, that, that really lays the groundwork here for the next section. So you have anything else in the first four verses, Pastor? Uh, no, I think we wrapped it up. But, but I mean, if you just take that verse, verse four out, mm-hmm. how do you know that Jesus is a Christ? How do you know who he is? It's all wrapped up in that sign. If you don't get that sign, you don't get Jesus. No, no matter, and of course, this is exactly what uh, many scholars do today. They'll talk about him as a great teacher, or they'll talk about him being an ethical man, or a real moral man, or all these different things. But at the heart of who he is, is wrapped up in his crucifixion, death, and resurrection. And if you don't get that, you do not get Jesus. I think that's a perfect segue to our next portion, because like you said, the disciples who were probably carrying around that big basket full of bread somehow forgot the bread. <laughs> so verse 5, verse 5. When the disciples reached the other side, they had forgotten to bring any bread. Now, that's, I mean, this is a very, it's not, this is not a major portion of this, but it is important for us to remember um, that, okay, so they go across um, the lake and they forgot bread. Which is just the ultimate of ironies, I think. Any any thoughts on this? I think this recaptures the disciples. Any thoughts? Well, I mean, it's more a sermonic point, but if you read through the whole thing, like something had just happened in front of their eyes. They they had participated it. Like you said, they they'd given it out. They picked up what was left over, and then at the end. Uh, or right, right here in this chapter, they've completely forgotten it. Mm-hmm. And Jesus has to remind them, like, do you remember the five thousand? Do you remember the four thousand? Right. Really? What's going on? Uh, I think one of the things that we can learn is, uh, of course, man doesn't live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. That, that one of the things we should learn here is that we need to constantly return to everywhere that proceeds from the mouth of God. And and this is kind of built into the week. I mean, this, this is what the third commandment is all, all always about, is returning to the blessings that God gives us in his word. And this is, this is why it's important to repeatedly go to church, repeatedly hear the word of God. This is why a Bible study, Bible reading is important, because we are like the disciples in that we are sinful, and there is something about a sinful mind that does not hold on to the Word of God as tightly as it should. And so we need to be constantly reminded. I, I think, I, I, my, my thesis is, and my hypothesis, let's put it this way, would, would be that we forget the Word of God faster than we do any other words. So if we read comic books or novels or watch Star Wars or Star Trek or whatever it is you like. Oh, boy. Baseball. 
you can repeat baseball stats. You'll have baseball stats in your head on the day you die, and you'll instantly be able to recall them, even if you haven't studied them for a long time. Or you'll be able to tell, uh, you'll be able to speak lines from your favorite movies, even if you haven't watched it for years. I don't think it's that way with the Word of God. I, I think it does just kind of fade out of our sinful mind unless we have it put into us week in, week out, day in, day out. Which is exactly, well, now I'm convicted because you can ask me a lot of things in life, but the thing I probably know the most are the 1991 Minnesota Twins. I could tell you, you every go. person's stat on that team. Um, Correct. What position they played, where they played. And the when was the last time you looked up one of those stats? Oh, years. It's been years. Yeah, it's been Correct. years. But I, oh my goodness. Yeah. Jack Morris, game seven. Yeah, but, but you Kirby just had Puckle. to Google Matthew oh 21, right? I did. I know. Oh, my gosh. Look at this. This is awful, folks. He is really hitting me to the heart here today. This is terrible. You know, it's so much fun. And it's so true. And this is why this is why we, we, we fight the good fight, I think, is, is a good way to yeah. put it. And fighting the good fight is not. I mean, when, when was the last time you read Matthew 21? Uh, probably wasn't even a year ago. Probably not. Yeah. And if it's not in the right. lectionary, I know for sure that I haven't read it yeah. for a while, which is why. I thank God that I'm able to be part of this with you and the other pastors every single day and to be able to be in that word because we have work to do. I don't need to know more about the 91 twins, but I do have the gift of God's word in order to treasure in my heart. So there we go. I'm, I repent and we move on. <laughs> so first, first I'm is, just saying this, this, is, this is just <laughs> something true about the sinful mind. Yeah is yeah. that it lets go of that stuff, which, which is why, as I said, it needs to be repeated. And so Jesus does it with the disciples. I mean, he reminds them of the 5,000 and the 4,000, just as, just as you've been going through in this Bible study. We were reminded of the 5,000 and the 4,000. Yeah. We, we need to be. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. That's so good. That's so true. So let's get to that reminder as we go. So, okay, I'm going to say this too. Verses 6 and 7 is what we're going we're gonna to read now. And this reminds me of, it's kind of a little bit of a quip, is they're saying, oh my gosh, I forgot the bread. And then Jesus starts teaching, and you're like, dude, I'm just hungry. You don't need to start teaching. Just give me some food, you know? That's kind of when you read this, you're like, man, Jesus would be no fun at a party. You know, he'd be no fun because <laughs> um, you just start teaching. But he has a good point, just like our parents. They'll give us a good point. Verses 6 and 7. Jesus said to them, Watch and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. And they begin discussing it among themselves, saying, we brought no bread. So, like I said, imagine the party. You know, they're, they're in the boat. You know, they have their drinks, whatever they have. And then they says, someone says, Peter says to John, hey, I have no, we have no bread. What, no bread? And then Jesus is in the corner going, reminder, Watch out for the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. And you're like, Jesus, this is not the time. We're hungry. What are you doing, right? It's just, it's just kind of a, a party. Uh, it destroys the party, if you will. But what is Jesus trying to do? <laughs> well, he's trying to teach them. Uh, something, is just, something important had just happened with the Pharisees and Sadducees. And they, they, clearly Jesus is mulling on this more than they are. Uh but, uh, I mean, one of the things, too, is, like, you guys are going to be surrounded by Pharisees and Sadducees e even after I've risen from the dead and ascended into heaven. 
And you, you need to watch out for that. You need to beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. I, I mean, it's like that interaction that we just read in the, which is short, right? It's four verses. But Jesus is thinking on it more. And they are, as you said, maybe more wrapped up with uh, the coolness of the feeding of the 4,000 and this kind of thing. And he said, no, 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 no. I mean, yeah, the feeding of the 4,000 was cool. But uh, you guys do need to take heed and beware of, of, of their leaven. And, and yeah, you're right. They they go on about, well, we, we didn't bring bread. Okay, we get it. And he's like, no, <laughs> that's not the point. Right. Uh, we, we can get bread and we can multiply it. You've seen it multiple times. But what, what is going on here, you're going to be surrounded by Pharisees and Sadducees. I mean, for, in their case, for the rest of their lives. Uh, but uh, so the, 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 they, they will have those temptations temptations like, well, prove it to me, uh, ask a sign from heaven, is he really the Christ, these kind of things. I mean, G- Jesus warns them about that kind of stuff later on in chapter 24, too, when he says people will do great miracles, or people will say, here's the Christ, or there he is, and he mm-hmm. just tells them, you don't go chasing after it, because those are false. And, and I, he will build at that point, but it's already beginning here. And this reminds me of the parable of the sower. That really popped to mind when you were speaking. Um, As for what was sown among thorns, this is Matthew 13, verse 22, when he talks about the seed being thrown among the thorns. This is the one who hears the word. So we're not questioning whether or not the disciples or Pharisees or Sadducees heard the world, but now we're looking at the disciples. But the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and it proves unfruitful that how quickly the cares of the world can, I guess you say, choke out the world, just like you're saying, that we hear the word yeah. and we're focused on the bread. And, and like you said, I like how you said this very, very, I mean, beautifully, is this is not like me saying all you people and not me. I mean, we're, we're, <laughs> we're in this thing. The cares of the world can become great, even if they're, quote, good things that we're doing, which we fully support as Christian people to fulfill your vocations, but also those cares of the world can choke out the word. And that's why we always, like I said, have to fight the good fight. Other thoughts you have? Well, and and especially for uh, the disciples proper, maybe even uh, the seed thrown among the rocks where persecution and tribulation are coming. And they're going to be coming from Pharisees and Sadducees, right? Uh, and, And Jesus will tell them, do not, do not give in. Do not, do not listen to their teaching. Do not, uh, uh, you need to beware of the leaven of them. So let's continue on. Like his, his, um, his teaching continues and it's a, it's a, it's, it's very good. Like you said very well about repeating. He repeats and reminds us just like how every day we need reminders, especially of the love of a loved one. And as we know, the love of God. So verses eight and we'll go through verse 11. But Jesus, aware of this, so he's fully aware, said, O you of little faith, why are you discussing among yourselves the fact that you have no bread? Do not yet perceive? Do you not remember the five loaves or the five thousand? And how many baskets you gathered? Or the seven loaves for the four thousand and how many baskets you gathered? How is it that you fail to understand that I did not speak about bread? Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees 
and Sadducees. So he begins very strongly, but how I would interpret this is he's not being complete snark. I mean, Jesus you know, has some sarcasm in him, but he's definitely lovingly and caringly and patiently trying to point them back to the truth. So what is Jesus telling them when he says, oh, you of little faith? Yeah, well, I would say, though, lovingly and caringly can be rebuked at times. <laughs> That's true, yeah. But you're right. He, he's doing it lovely, lo- lovingly, but at the same time, he's like, listen, guys, they just came asking for signs. You participated in just the last sign. It just, and, and it was specifically about food. How right. is it that you don't understand? Right. Right. <laughs> How can you not get it? And I'm sure they sheepishly looked down at their feet, but... Uh, there, there is a bit of a rebuke there, and we, we can sit back and just read through chapters in 15, 15 and 16 in just a few minutes, and we can put it together and be like, duh, guys, this just happened. But uh, as you said, we ourselves have, have had the same exact kind of thing happen to us where we've done something we shouldn't or we've forgotten something that was so obvious and, and had it brought up to us. And then we had to slap our foreheads that you're right. That was dumb. I shouldn't have done that. Uh, we, we've all had that experience happen to us, but I mean, just to maybe time, time all together. I mean, verse 12 then is then they understood that he didn't tell them to beware of the leaven of bread, but of the doctrine or the teaching of the Pharisees and Sadducees. Yeah. Yeah. That, uh, to, to take their doctrine seriously or to take the doctrine that Christ teaches seriously will, will get you to vastly different ends. You will get to different places. And I mean, I think that's why he's warning them is because he had just called them a wicked and adulterous generation uh, who, who refused to see the signs, who, refu- who refused to see what was going on in front of their faces. And on the other hand, the disciples are coming to know that he is the Christ, the Son of the living God, and that understanding and keeping that at, at the heart of it is going to mean a lot more than what, whatever it is that the Pharisees and Sadducees say, we would say, whatever it is that the world says, uh, we always need to be about Christ and his teaching. And that when you're serious about it, I mean, this is, I think, one of the things that the Pharisees and Sadducees are worried about is, what if he's right? Yeah, right. Then what does that mean? And, and the disciples are, are a little further along the path because they've, they've been called. And so they, they had to make that decision a, a little while ago, but it does mean at times, I mean, it means that you have to follow Jesus, right? No matter what happens, you are called to follow him and that that can turn your life upside down. And the Pharisees and Sadducees don't like the thought of that. And later on, when you get in, in the gospel, it says that they envy Jesus and they're jealous of him. And, and they want him killed because uh, they can't take it. If what he is saying is true, then they have to change their life. And this is the same for us, too. If, if what Jesus says and did is true, then that means something for our lives. 
and it means that we aren't in charge, and it means that he is the Lord, and it means that his word can rebuke us, and we have to listen. And that does not sit well at times, right? It goes back to, and, and as you said, it goes back to Matthew 6, because he starts off right away, this kind of perks your ears, oh, you have little faith. Like, we actually we might have to believe this. And then he proves why we might have to believe this. Because if he can do 5,000, you do 4,000 with what he did. Guess what? He also can save us. And and it shows you how quickly we can fall into this in Matthew 6. You know, this is the, the great the great chapter. He basically says, go and, go and look at the grass of the field. Go to look at the lilies mm-hmm. of the field and, and uh, look at the sparrows or the bird, of the, you know, in the air. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you? And then he says the same words, O oh, you of little faith, which how can we not feel that little faith that we have <laughs> as we hear more and more of what Jesus has to say? Your, your thoughts on that connection? And, and how do we respond to this, O oh, you of little faith? And, and what do we do with that, Pastor? Oh, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. Yeah. Right? That's what one guy does. <laughs> uh, I, I, think it's a, I think it's a good thing. Uh, I, I, I like your tie-in there, too, with Matthew 6 and looking at the birds of the air. Because one of the things that's, that's kind of running through these chapters is food. And the temptation that that is tied to food goes all the way back to the garden. Yeah, right. It's also the first, it's also the first move that the devil makes in Matthew 4 is temptation about food here here when they're talking about how we didn't bring any bread Jesus, no he, he rebukes them again uh, it's it's a, a, a temptation in some way around food I was going to say too one of the texts that I have thought about more than any other since Thanksgiving is the Old Testament reading from Thanksgiving which is either from Deuteronomy 6 or 8 I can't remember which one but where he says Something along the lines of, thus the Lord let you hunger when you were in the wilderness, so that he would teach you that man does not live by bread alone, but from every word that comes from the mouth of God. And that, I mean, that's just a a haunting passage, Mm. because it, it does say that God let them hunger. They didn't have food, and they complained about it in a selfish and idolatrous way, and God was trying to get them to understand that they don't need food because they have the Word of God. And as we look at supermarket shelves that are maybe a little bit lighter than they used to be and less full than they used to be, Mm. as we live in a culture that says what you do on Sunday mornings is not essential, uh, many of us are far too prone to say, you know what, you're right, what I need is a full pantry. What I need is to think about what all the nations of the world think about. And Jesus, in Matthew chapter 6, Matthew chapter 16, maybe uh, rebukes us a little for that. We do that a lot, where we'll say, if I just have X, whatever that might be, mm-hmm. Just enough in my retirement account, just enough in in my food pantry, just enough in my social network friends, or just enough likes, then I'll be set. 
when the longer I live, the more I realize that's just not true. Like you might get to quote whatever that might be, and then something else creeps in, or the devil, like you said, Satan will ask, you know, did God really say, you know, did, did is that really enough kind of language? Which once again points us to the bread that you know we didn't bring any bread, and 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 yeah. you lose sight of the bread of life, Pastor. Verse twelve, I think, is just. Uh, like you've read it, and I, and I love how you move us forward always. And I, <laughs> and verse twelve, and they understood that they did not tell him to beware of the leaven of bread, but the teaching of the Pharisees and Sadducees. So they understood it at that point, which leads us to the confession of Peter. And uh, to me, like they understood, but did they really understand? That's kind of the, the way we move with a lot of the texts in Scripture: is that they understood, but they, did they really understand? Why is that sometimes? kind of dangerous way to look at everything because, uh, well, there's a lot of things I always wonder, do I really understand? How do, how do you encourage a Christian when like, oh, they understood, therefore I should. Maybe I don't understand. And how do you live with that tension as we live in this uh, side of eternity? Yeah, well, I mean, th- then it comes back around to the basics, right? It comes back to the truth of the creed or the small catechism or something like that. And it, and it comes back around to the sign of Jonah, that, that Jesus was crucified and he rose again on the third day. And Jesus had just taught that to the Pharisees, and as you said, at the end of chapter 16, he's going to teach it again, yeah. or he's going to teach it to the disciples. And a, as we were saying uh, earlier in, in regards to our world and our culture, you, you just said that uh, a lot of times we can think, if I have X, I, I will be happy. And as you get older and you you start to obtain some of those X's, or some of those X's get further out of your reach, and you recognize that you're you're not ever going to get them. I mean, there's there's basically a couple of ways you can go, and one way, uh, a bad way to go, is just like, well, if this didn't satisfy satisfy me, then then nothing will. Mm. And there's a kind of despair there, or you go chasing after it, and eventually you'll find out that it, you might like it for a while, but it won't satisfy you. In the deepest way, and and Christ says, "Well, there is a sign of the prophet Jonah, right? There is Christ being in the heart of the earth for three days and then rising again three days later, which the scriptures maintain is at the core of the gospel and at the core of the wisdom of God and at the core of what will fulfill us. Uh, and, and we are always tempted away from that. That can't be." That can't be it. We should talk about other things. That can't be it. But uh, obviously the the Church has circled around that teaching week in and week out at this point for millennia because the Church reiterates, because Jesus reiterates it time and time again, that uh, right there is the key. Pastor, we have about a minute left in our time. How would you encourage our listeners when, and summarize our time in Matthew chapter 16. How, how would we summarize? I, I mean, it's, it's faith in following Christ. We are always to look to Christ. And when the world tries to draw us away, or we think we need some some great and awesome signs, Jesus always brings, around, brings us around to his death and resurrection. And, and just says, that's the sign. Just dwell on that your whole life. 
Pastor Scott Adel of Good Shepherd Lutheran Church and School in Collinsville, Illinois, giving us God's strong word from Matthew chapter 16. Pastor Adel, thank you for bringing us his gifts. Absolutely good to be here. I'm your host, Brady Finneran, pastor of Messiah Lutheran Church in Sartell, Minnesota. Thank you for joining us, and the Lord keep you safe in the palm of his hand.